those who will be tuning in to our message here at home uh, this morning. Um, the scripture passage this morning is from the book of First Thessalonians. So First Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 13 through 18. So again, that's First Thessalonians chapter 4, and reading verses 13 through 18. So this is the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let us pray. Our Father, as we hear your word here from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we pray for your help, Lord, that you would work through this message to open our eyes and open our hearts to understand what is revealed here to us. Lord, we know you want us to know. You want us to understand. You have preserved your word for us. So, Father, now help us to listen, uh, to pay attention, and that your spirit would do a work in our hearts that would grant us understanding. Father, we pray that this message would, would bring encouragement to your people as it is intended to do. And Lord, we, need, we, we know that our nation needs encouragement. We pray for our nation. Lord, we think of just what we've been hearing the past few days of what's been going on in places like Minneapolis and other cities. Father, we pray that you would bring peace, that you would bring help. Lord, we see how much we need Jesus from the news of these events. So Lord, we pray. Be with the pastors be with the believers in these places. Lord, help them to speak your truth in love. And we pray for peace for those who are serving their communities in order to protect people and property. Lord, give them protection, give them help, give them wisdom. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, have you noticed uh, the difference between attending a funeral for someone who most likely wasn't a believer and someone you know followed and loved Jesus? When you attend a funeral for someone that you have known and loved and yet you are fairly certain did not have saving faith in Jesus Christ or at least didn't show any love or concern for Christ, it can be quite a sad and de depressing experience. 
Now, in our culture, those funerals may still mention, you know, what a, what a great person the deceased uh, was. People will laugh and tell stories about them. Uh, they may really seem like a pretty good person, but there will be something missing in those services. That is, the focus will be on the past, the life that they lived. But not much will be said about what is to come. In other words, our gaze will be directed back to the past and what has been lost rather than towards the future and what we may gain. This past Wednesday night, after our our kids were in bed, my wife and I sat down together in front of uh, our computer screen and watched the funeral service of a good friend of ours from our last church in Iowa. He had died a few weeks ago. Al, Al had died in the midst of the orders for restricting public gatherings So the service was recorded, and only his immediate family were able to be present at the service. In the service, both of his sons shared about their dad. Also, two of his college-age grandchildren also shared about him. And of course, their pastor preached the gospel from John chapter 10, which was at the request of my friend Al, who had died. Another good friend of ours played one of his favorite hymns on his guitar, The Old Rugged Cross, and he sang it just like Al would have sung it. And he shared a testimony of how much Al's faith and hope in the gospel meant to him. During the service, his family mentioned that the night before he died, they had they'd all gotten together with him. They had actually gathered at the church, and and they had shared an evening together singing some of their favorite hymns, reading Bible passages, and talking about when they would all be together again. You see, they, they knew Al was dying. They didn't know how soon he would go, but, but, but they knew it, it wouldn't be long. And Al wanted to encourage them to continue to put their hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that if they had faith in Christ and lived for his glory, that he knew they would one day all be together again. And when they were all together again, it would be far better, for they would all be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sons talked about how that coming reality filled them with hope and helped them to say goodbye to their dad. And that filled Greta and I with hope as we watched it. The message was clear. And that is why funeral services can feel so different for believers than for unbelievers. For we know they are either filled with hope or hope is noticeably absent. And this passage here at first. Thessalonians teaches us that for Christians, our friends, um, uh, our funerals ought to be distinctly different from those of non-believers. 
For there is a distinct difference between us and, and that distinct difference is hope. Hope founded in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his promises of ultimate redemption and restoration in the future. So as we look at this passage here from 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4, our main theme that we see here is that believers are to have hope in the midst of grief because Christ will unite all his people with himself when he comes. Believers are to have hope in the midst of grief because Christ will unite all his people with himself when he comes. As we read earlier in our service, Article 9 of the Evangelical Free Church's Statement of Faith, it is on what we believe about the return of Christ. This is a a biblical doctrine. It is a truth that the Bible clearly teaches, and it is filled with hope. Again, the first line of that article is that we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is We believe Jesus himself will really return to the earth, and we will see him no matter if it happens before or after we die, and as verse 17 says, we will always be with him. That is, we know there is a future for believers after death comes. Death doesn't have the final word on us because the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has overcome death for us and will one day come and put a final end to death for all of his people. That is our hope. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is one of the main passages that believers turn to in regards to the return of Christ. And this is definitely not the only passage that teaches about Christ's return. There are many other passages we we could turn to, but I I chose this one to focus on. Uh, More could be said about it than this one passage says. So this sermon definitely will not cover everything. Yet, this is a wonderful passage, and it is the kind of passage that we should think about regularly and point others to when we are in need of hope. So let's, let's take a look now at the passage, especially verses 13 and 14, the heading I put over these two verses here, are that the death and resurrection of Jesus provides unusual hope for those who grieve and anticipate the death of believers. Verses 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We see in the first sentence here what Paul's main concern was in writing this paragraph. He is concerned that the believers not grieve as those who have no hope regarding those believers who are asleep, as he says, or who have died. Paul's saying there ought to be a difference in how Christians grieve the death of other Christians. That it should be distinct from the way that unbelievers grieve. So look up in your, in your Bibles to verses 9 through 12. So just, just ahead of our passage here, verses 9 through 12, we see there in verse 12 
that his concern is that unbelievers will be paying attention to how they live out their faith. Look there at verse 12. It says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. That, that is his concern as he, as he moves into this paragraph that, that we are in regarding the return of Christ. He's reminding them that they ought to be different from their pagan neighbors in how they live and work and how they love each other and in how they grieve over the deaths of other believers. Again, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Even how he refers to believers who have died here points us to hope. He, he refers to them as those who are asleep. Now, you and I, in fact, we all have this in common. We all sleep. We all know what that experience is like. At the end of the day, or, or, or sometimes in the middle of the day, our bodies grow tired. We struggle to keep our eyes open. And at the end of the day, I'm usually either reading in my chair or, or talking with my wife. And we get to that point where it is a struggle for us to keep our eyes open and to keep ourselves from yawning. And so we know it's time to go to sleep. Our bodies are telling us this. We eventually then turn out all the lights, we, we go into the bedroom, we lay down on our bed, and within a few minutes, we are unconscious. We are dead to the world. But eventually, something wakes us up. Usually, it's our alarms going off, alerting us back into consciousness, and we get up out of the bed, and, and we come out of our bedroom, and we are awake and ready to live once again. So God's word is saying here that we should think about the death of a believer in a similar way. At the end of the believer's life, his, his body will grow tired. It will, it will wear down. It will be time for the body to rest. The believer will lay down and die. His body will, will be placed in a grave, but it will only be for a time. For the day will come when the believer's body will be awakened. The morning will dawn when he or she will rise again. The, the, the time of sleeping will be over, and just like you or I rise up out of bed and come out of our bedrooms, believers who have fallen asleep in death will one day rise up and come out of their graves. But if you think about it, I mean, that is a wild belief, isn't it? That is, that is quite a hope to think that a lifeless, decaying body, some even who have been dead for so long that there isn't much left of their bodies, will one day rise up from their graves like sleeping people rise up from their beds in the morning. How can that be real? How can we have such an amazing hope? Well, we're told why there in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus died and rose again. That is the confession of every Christian. The Apostles' Creed says that we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and the third day he rose again from the dead. 
The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian Christians in chapter 15, said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then Paul goes on to report of the appearances that the resurrected Christ made and names many of those who saw him and could testify that he really did rise again from the dead, Paul being the last of those witnesses. That is what our great hope is founded upon, that Christ rose again from the dead. Paul later describes his resurrection as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That is, his resurrection is just the first of of a great resurrection where all of God's people who trusted in him for their salvation will also rise again from the dead and be with him forever. Jesus died for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, to suffer God's wrath in our place, and then rose again from the dead to show that all who have made him their trust, their hope, their Savior, will find themselves justified before God and rising again just like he did. That is an unusual hope, that there is truly a glorious future for those who die in the faith. We all know that there are many who die without that hope. Yes, many in our culture may try to convince themselves that their loved one will be welcomed into heaven because they think that that's just what happens to every every good person. But their hope isn't based on truth. It's not based on reality. But the Christian's is. For Jesus really did rise again from the dead, and the apostles testify to it in the Gospels. Paul testifies to it in his letters. The growth of the church in the first century from a small group of of scared, uh, disheartened, and discouraged disciples into a movement that took the gospel throughout the Roman Empire is clear historical proof that Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, all those who are in Jesus can be filled with hope as they approach death. He lives, so we also will live. So friend, I must ask you, do you have that hope this morning? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you you know that you will one day be with him forever? rise again from the dead as he did? That is the question that we have over us in this passage. Secondly here, at his coming, all believers, dead and living, will be united to welcome the Lord Jesus and will remain in his presence forever. Verses 15 through 17 here. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the main themes of the whole letter of 1 Thessalonians. And this is the third time that Paul mentioned it in this letter. 
At the end of chapter 2, Paul mentions it when he writes in verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you, referring to the Thessalonians? So here Paul refers to the faith and the transformed lives of the Thessalonian Christians as his hope, joy, and crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Paul's assuming that the Lord Jesus is going to come again to the earth and that Paul and his companions will be there at his coming and so will the Thessalonian Christians. And it will be a moment when Paul's great joy will be to see them all there as a part of this great gathering of redeemed sinners whom Christ has saved and who Paul had the privilege of sharing the message of salvation. The second time is found at the end of chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 and verses 11 through 13. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So once again, the coming of the Lord Jesus is expected by Paul. It's something that will happen. And Paul's praying that the love that the leaders have for God and for each other would abound, that it would grow more and more. And he's praying that these believers would continue to grow in their sanctification, that is, in holiness, that they would become more and more like Christ, for Christ will come again, and when he comes, he will come with all his saints. That is, all those who belong to him by faith. All believers who have fallen asleep, he will bring with him. So then after those, those brief mentions about the coming of Christ, Paul then focuses more, on, uh, more of his teaching on it here in verses 15 through 17. Now there are two groups of people that Paul is telling us about here, verses 15 through, 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 through 17. There are those who are asleep and those who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. It seems there was a concern in the young Thessalonian church that those who had died would miss out on or would have no hope of being a part of the glorious, victorious return of the Lord Jesus. But Paul assures them that those who have died already would not be missing out on anything. He alludes to the teaching that the souls of those who die will already be with the Lord in heaven. That's why he says uh, in verse 14, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then their souls will be reunited with their resurrected bodies and will rise first when the Lord comes. Then we who are alive, it says, who are left, so that's that second group, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So here's where the two groups come together. Here's the unity of the two groups. There are the believers who were asleep in Jesus and the believers who are alive, who are left, uniting together in the air to meet the Lord Jesus at his coming. Now what, a, what a glorious and awesome event this will be. And this phrase here, caught up together with them, 
That's where we get the term the rapture from. Rapture is based off of the, the Latin translation of the Greek word for caught up. Uh, the Greek word is, is harpazo. The Latin is rapio. I kind of like the, the Greek word harpazo better, but the Latin is rapio, which is where we get the word rapture from. In, in English, it means caught up or, or taken up. In the context of 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it is taken up, as it says, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It doesn't say taken up into heaven, just in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and, and, and this happens at his coming. Now, I'm sure I don't have to inform you that there are a few differing opinions and interpretations about the rapture and the Lord's coming. I know there are disagreements on these things even amongst us within the church. If you want to know mine, then you can most definitely ask me later. But all believers are united on this main truth that these verses are telling us, that Christ is coming again, and that his coming will be an amazing time of unity amongst all believers. Again, believers from the two groups described here, those who have fallen asleep, that is, believers who have died prior to his coming, and the second group, those who are alive, who are left until his coming. Now, there are many things that divide genuine Christians just in our own country. As I mentioned, we we divide over different understandings of Christ's coming or regarding when someone should be baptized or whether or not someone is a Christian because God chose them or because they chose God. I have friends who I know are born-again believers who love and follow Jesus, yet we disagree on those things. I've been in different countries and have been a part of worship services that are much different than the way that we worship on Sunday mornings. Places where everyone dances and sings and yells out praises to God, not just for 15 minutes, but for a few hours. Christians today are separated over secondary beliefs, over worship styles and practices, over, over differing cultures, over baptism and the, and the Lord's Supper, even over how best to raise our children. But when the Lord Jesus returns, all believers who have ever lived, from those who are dead to those still alive, will be united with Christ at his coming. There will be nothing that will separate us then. We will all be with him, and we will always be with the Lord. Think about what that means for a moment. We will always be with the Lord. Now, when the Lord ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, the Lord promised his disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is, as you live out your calling to make disciples, to teach all of my commandments, I will be with you as you live, serve, and suffer on this earth, which is tremendously encouraging. He is with us now by the Holy Spirit, empowering us for his service. But when he comes, that is, when he physically comes, bodily comes, We will always be with the Lord. We will see him. We will be in his presence. We we will never be cast away, never forsaken. 
We will always be with him together, united as his people. Now, as a parent, one of my greatest concerns for my children is that the people that they spend time with, especially the person that they may end up marrying, will be someone who will be good for them and not bad for them. Someone who will love them and not harm them. Someone who will be a blessing and not a curse. But, but here in this promise, God's word is saying that the destiny of all believers is that we will always be with the Lord. Someone who is always kind. Someone who is always truthful. Who will never try to deceive us. Who will never take advantage of us. Who will never harm us. Someone who is able to be our shield and defender, our advocate and our teacher. Someone who is able to, uh, to uh, 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 help us to, 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 to know whatever it is that we need to know about him. Because he knows everything. And he knows everything about us and still loves us and wants us to be with us. Wants to be with us. Someone who will never sin against us. Someone uh, who 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 will show his great love for us as he showed his love for us by laying down his, lo- his life on the cross for us, who shielded us from the wrath of God for our sins by enduring it for us, someone who created us and who will be able to love and serve wholeheartedly because he will transform us completely to be without sin and pride and selfishness and to experience the fullness of love and joy in his presence forever. That is who we will all be with. That is the future hope of every believer, and that is what we are instructed here to encourage one another with, with the good news of the future we have in Christ. So that that, that last verse then, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words, We are to regularly remind one another of the future hope of being with the Lord on the earth. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Although many Christians turn to this passage primarily to argue for or or prove their own view of Christ's return, that was definitely not Paul's intention for writing what he did here. Often the real purpose of this passage is, is overlooked. Paul was seeking to comfort those in grief by connecting the reality of Christ's death and resurrection with the hope of the resurrection of the dead who died in the faith. Look back again, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then again, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is a word from God that needs to be shared, not primarily at prophecy conferences or on some of the videos that have been shared recently on Facebook or YouTube, but rather at at funeral homes, memorial services, and at gravesides. Here is a word from the Lord that we can and are encouraged to share with one another. The Lord will return And when he comes, the dead in Christ will rise. All believers will meet him in the clouds. And so we will always be with the Lord on the earth in our transformed, resurrected bodies. Just as the Lord came once to deal with our sin, he will come again to unite all believers in him. 
friend, what will your funeral be like? What will it be like? Will your, will your loved ones and friends, especially those from this church who attend your funeral, will they know where you stand with the Lord? Will it be a service filled with hope or a service filled with uncertainty? Will they be assured that when the Lord returns that you will be one of those who will rise again to meet the Lord in the air? That we will see you on that day. See you in the very presence of the Lord Jesus with a big smile on your face because you are in the place where we know you have longed to be with the Lord Jesus. Please consider this. Don't let your loved ones be left to wonder where you stand with the Lord. Come to him, repent of your sins and of your prideful way of living and submit yourself under the Lord's grace. Believe in him, believe that he died and rose again for you and live for him from now on so that at your funeral, I can testify with the rest of the church, oh yes, we will see them again on that day when the Lord comes. Now, earlier I mentioned that Paul was referring to two groups of people who will be with the Lord when he comes, those who died with faith in Christ and those who believe that Christ died and and rose again but yet remain and are left until his coming. For them, Christ's coming will be a time filled with joy and hope, but there is a third group of people mentioned in this passage. We, we, We must not miss that. Look back at verse 13 again. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others, as others do, who have no hope. Those who have no hope are those who don't know Christ. This wasn't a small group of uh, of people when Paul wrote this letter. It was by far most of the world at that time. And it's not a small number today. If you have not submitted your life to Christ and sought the forgiveness that Christ offers for your sins, well, then this group includes you. You are among those who have no hope, no hope of being saved from condemnation, no hope of eternal life, no hope of being with the Lord forever. Instead, you will face his wrath when he comes. So use this opportunity to turn Turn away from your sinful ways and seek Christ. Trust in Christ alone for your salvation and for your future. He will give you life. And when you die, it will be in the sure hope of the resurrection. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for these encouraging words. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Oh, we long for his appearing. We look forward to the day when he comes. But I pray for those here who may not care to be with Christ forever. Those who would much rather continue in their sin for as long as they can. Father, please work in their hearts to bring them to repentance. Open their eyes to see that Christ is their only hope and that their time is short. Help us to encourage other believers with these words, but also to share the truth of these words with those who need to believe and obey. May everyone who has heard this message be among that number who will meet the Lord in the clouds on his descent from heaven. 
We pray in the name of our coming Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Behold, he is coming soon. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.